Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Did you know that as you age, your natural production of collagen declines? This results in fine lines and wrinkles, joint pain, dark circles under your eyes, and more. You see, collagen is like the glue that holds your body together. And luckily, there's an easy way to feed your body additional collagen. It's bone broth. Studies show consuming bone broth protein can boost metabolism, support gut health and digestion, reduce cellulite formation, can help grow healthy skin and nails, support joints, and more. But if you've ever made bone broth, you know it's time-consuming. And who really has the time to simmer bones for 48 hours? That's why I like to use bone broth protein powder. Simply mix a scoop with hot water, add to a smoothie or even a baked dish, and reap all the benefits of collagen-rich protein in just 30 seconds a day. While most companies use the hides or the skin of the animal, which are less nutrient-dense than the bones, I always prefer using bones. And that's why I love Paleo Valley bone broth protein because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains or any grains for that matter. They even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. These bones are slow simmered to extract as much collagen protein as possible. They don't use any chemicals or solvents, just good old fashioned bone broth that's then gently powdered. Now, when we think about bone broth, again, we think about the protein collagen, and there's several key amino acids in there, including glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, and those help to, to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and help reduce cellulite. They're also critical for anti-aging as they help regenerate bones and help muscle and support heart health. Studies have shown eating bone broth soup on a regular basis can increase fullness, reduce your calorie intake, and lead to weight loss over time. And the amino acid glycine is really important for good sleep. In fact, a three-gram dose of glycine improves sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels, which is a key precursor to melatonin. And it does that without causing daytime drowsiness. Each serving of 100% grass-fed beef bone broth protein contains 15 grams of collagen protein and 3.4 grams of glycine, so you get that critical amount. So to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein, just go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers and use the coupon code jockers to save 15% off your order today. You guys are going to love this. So try it out today. Again, go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers. Use the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off your order. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Got another exciting Q&A. And today we are going to be talking about a number of different conditions. We're going to talk about headaches and the key nutrients or possible nutrient deficiencies 
that could be involved in headaches. We're going to talk about uh, Ozempic and these GLP-1 agonist uh, medications, weight loss and, and diabetes medications that are very, very popular. Some people are getting great results. We're going to talk about our thoughts on those. And uh, we're also going to talk about varicose veins. We've got a great question about varicose veins. We appreciate all the great questions that you guys are sending in. And if you have specific questions you want us to address on this podcast, you can always email me at info at drjockers.com, or you can go to my Instagram page, Dr. David Jockers, and you can send DMs with questions, or you can comment on different posts, our YouTube channel. This is where we're polling and pulling questions from, also on our website, under the comments, under every article. This is where we're getting a lot of these questions. And so, again, I want to thank you guys for doing that and really just for being a part of our community. Joining me on today's Q&A, I've got the great Dr. Yvonne Bojode. If I if I said your name properly, I always, I always kind of butcher it. No worries. It took me a while to get it straight, so we're good. And it's kind of fun to hear everybody's uh, way of of pronouncing it. So that is awesome. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. We have, like you said, wonderful questions, and we're going to get a lot of good education, information, and actionable. So it's really exciting. Absolutely. And guys, Dr. Yvonne works with people all around the world with a number of different health conditions. So if you want a really great, a highly educated, highly skilled, and compassionate health coach, Dr. Yvonne is, is, is fantastic. She's a naturopath and has got advanced training in functional medicine, uh, at functional nutrition, really, you know, everything when it comes to helping people navigate their health journey and get well. So again, if you're dealing with any sort of chronic health condition, definitely reach out to Dr. Yvonne. And how do they do that, Dr. Yvonne? How do they, what's the best way to reach out to you? Well, there are many ways, but one way is to go to your website, drjockers.com, and you can look for long distance coaching and go there and find my name, click, and then you can uh, submit your application. Or you can just directly email me at drivonne at drjockers.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yep. Easy, simple. All right. And you're working with a number of complex cases all around the world. And uh, so definitely reach out to Dr. Yvonne if you if you're looking for a great health coach and, uh, you know, she'd be happy to work walk you through really the process that it takes and uh, and go through that with you guys. And so with that said, let's jump into some of these questions, Dr. Yvonne. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jockers, for that wonderful introduction. So, yes, let's start with a question uh, posed by John on Instagram. He says, my wife seems to get headaches whenever she gets stressed or doesn't sleep her best. Are there any nutrients that she is missing or they or that may help her? This is a great question. So your wife, John, is getting headaches when she's having trouble sleeping or when she's stressed and you're wondering about what nutrients are involved in headaches. Well, when it comes to headaches, there are certain nutrients that you know are, are top of mind. Number one would be magnesium. Magnesium is to the body what oil is to a car, meaning the more that we use our body, the more stressed we are, the more we're using up magnesium. We need a lot of magnesium on a regular basis. It helps calm our neurotransmitters, helps balance our excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitters. It helps calm and stabilize our blood sugar, our adrenal 
uh, hormones. It helps calm and, and relax those. And so I think of magnesium like an adaptogen. We hear about adaptogens when it comes to herbs like ashwagandha. An adaptogen acts kind of like a thermostat. So you know, if it's if it's 80 degrees outside and you want it 70 in your house, the air conditioning comes on to bring the to bring the the cool air in to bring it down to 70. If it's 40 degrees outside and you want it 70, the heat will come on. That's kind of what magnesium does. It's it's a great balancer. It's you know the the ultimate balancer um, when it comes to nutrients. And so that is the number one nutrient that I see associated with headaches. Another one is dehydration in general and a loss of electrolytes. Magnesium would be one of those electrolytes. But just drinking enough water on a regular basis, a lot of times people are, are have headaches because they haven't been consuming enough water, and particularly water and salt. So getting a little bit of salt um, could be some sort of good quality sea salt or like uh, Celtic salt, pink Himalayan salt, something along those lines, a little bit of salt and some water. Uh, a lot of times people feel a lot better. A lot of times, like for me, for example, I know when when I was dealing with a lot of health issues in my early 20s, I craved pickle brine, pickle brine. So what is that? It's a lot of salt and water. And so I had adrenal hypofunction. So my body really needed extra salt and I would get headaches. I would get dizzy at times. I'd have very low blood pressure. And when I would drink the pickle brine or just kind of a salted water, I felt so much better. My energy came back. I had less head, you know, the headache went away, felt significantly better. So that's another really common one. And then outside of that, I want to think about certain B vitamins. In fact, we know that headaches can be associated with higher levels of homocysteine, which is an inflammatory protein in the bloodstream. And so um, basically homocysteine is part of the glutathione production cycle or the methylation cycle. And so it's taken from an amino acid, methionine gets metabolized and should, should result in the production of SAMe as well as glutathione, but we also produce, glutathione's our master antioxidant, but we also produce homocysteine in that process. Now, normally, again, it gets converted, but for some people, they're deficient in certain nutrients, magnesium being one of them, as well as, in particular, B12, vitamin B6, uh, and folate all play a role in con that conversion process of homocysteine into glutathione and SAME. And so when we are deficient there in some of these B vitamins, homocysteine goes up, homocysteine is very inflammatory on the endothelial lining of the blood vessels. And so it can cause damage to the blood vessels. And a symptom of that may be headaches for some individuals. And so lowering homocysteine levels has been shown in research to reduce headaches for individuals that are susceptible to that. So that's another thing to look at. And then finally, vitamin D deficiency. Vitamin D is you know the sunshine vitamin. And when your vitamin D is deficient, which um, based on the standards would be under 30 nanograms per milliliter. So when it's deficient or what, what's called very deficient, which would be under 20 nanograms per milliliter, people tend to have uh, lower pain thresholds, meaning that it takes less stimulus to cause pain in their body. And so therefore they're going to have a likely, more likelihood of pain anywhere in their body, in particular headaches and Raising the vitamin D levels up over 30 nanograms per milliliter has been shown to help improve pain tolerance and reduce overall pain. Now, Dr. Yvonne and I like to see vitamin D levels up over 60 nanograms per milliliter because ultimately the research shows that your overall well-being goes up when your vitamin D levels 
25 hydroxy vitamin D is up over 60 nanograms per milliliter. But I have seen even like I, I remember many years ago in, in my office, I had a lady come in fibromyalgic, like pain, just chronic pain throughout her body, hard to even function. One of the things we did, so we were getting some blood work done, but I, I put her on vitamin D because she did have a little bit of blood work she came in with. Her vitamin D was very low. It was like eight nanograms per milliliter. Put her on vitamin D. She came in three days later. She's like, I feel so much better. And I had put her on a high dose, like 50,000 uh, international units. And she's like, I feel so much better. This is amazing. And, uh, you know, all we really did at that point was some nutrition changes and vitamin D supplementation. She felt significantly better. So it can have for some individuals that quick of a, um, an effect on their bodies. And so that's something to investigate as well. If your vitamin D is really low, that may be a big contributor with the headaches. So Dr. Ivana, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Sure. I, I love all the nutrition that you mentioned. And in that, we I, I'm thinking about the four um, uh, things that we need to do to support our health. Like you said, nutrition, you mentioned all of that. But also, I'm wondering if she is needing to support herself with good exercise, because that will stimulate that blood flow if she is, you know, probably prioritizing her sleep. And if she's so stressed, perhaps writing down what is stressing her out, make, you know, making a differentiation between what she can control and what she cannot control, write it all down, kind of let it go and then go to sleep because sleep is so important for recovery and regeneration and cleaning out the waste in our brain. So when we're stressed, you know, our sleep tends to be affected. So one way is to, you know, lifestyle wise is to write down what are those things that are stressing you out. And um, community, you know, sometimes helping us have a good community, uh, you know, have interaction, good social interaction will help our overall well-being so that inflammation can be under control. And really our worst enemy is that inflammation. So put it all together, good nutrition, making sure you have all those important nutrients like magnesium, B vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, and then having that good nutrition to optimize, you know, your function and have low uh, inflammation and those little trick of if you're stressed out, writing everything down and putting it away. And if you're a believer, just give it to God and just make sure that, you know, you do that like one hour or two before you go to bed and exercise. Uh, have some sunshine. Oh, sunshine is so important. And yep, I think that I would complement all of that nutrition with lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. So important. So I think those are some really good tips. It's a great place to start is uh, is addressing those things. If those headaches, if you're doing all of those things and the headaches aren't getting better, definitely reach out to somebody like Dr. Yvonne. So you can get a further evaluation and really help you understand some of the root cause factors and what else may be involved in that. Absolutely, because sometimes when we do all those things, you know, the fundamentals, and we're not able to make those changes, then it's time to really look in deeper for what are the, you know, the factors that are keeping her with those headaches. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go into the next question. So the next question comes from Heather on Instagram. It's she says I have heard good things about osmic yes for helping with weight loss reducing hunger and craving what are your thoughts on this therapy 
Yeah. So Ozempic, or it's kind of in this classification of semi-glutide or GLP, glucagon-like peptide one medications is very popular. A lot of people are seeing really good results and there are some promising research when it comes to its ability to help somebody lose weight. So during clinical trials, adults taking semaglutide medications lost nearly 15% of their starting body weight on average. In a separate trial, adolescents lost about 16% of their starting body weight on average. And what it does is it encourages the release of insulin from your pancreas. It's a drug given to it's it's given to people with type 2 diabetes. It's it's what it's approved for, but it's also often given off-label to people that are just looking to lose weight or they're obese. Um, and basically it's an injectable, right? So they inject it into the, 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 the stomach. And again, it, it encourages the release of insulin from the pancreas, increases the volume of cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. So it increases beta cell activity. A lot of times when people have diabetes, they've had a lot of damage to their pancreas, beta cells are not functioning well. So their blood sugar is high and they, they can't get the insulin out to bring the blood sugar down. And glucagon-like peptide one also reduces the release of glucagon. Glucagon brings blood sugar up, like during type times of fasting, whereas insulin brings blood sugar down. And so, you know, obviously some of those results with weight loss seem really promising. And a lot of people are, are talking a lot about it. However, there are also side effects, just like there are with any type of medication. Number one is, I mean, it's an injectable. Number two is that there's you know, a lot of people are dealing with hypoglycemia, right? Brings down their blood sugar too much. So they feel dizzy. They have cravings. They they just don't feel as good. And now what most people notice is they just are have, have greater satiation. So they don't feel like they need to eat as much. And that's one of the effects. And that's why they're getting the weight loss results is they feel satiated because the GLP-1, uh, it interacts with the appetite control center in our hypothalamus. And so they feel satiated, they eat less. And that's kind of what the research has been showing. However, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of GI symptoms that people are, are experiencing as well. Constipation, diarrhea, nausea. There's actually a warning on it for increasing the risk of thyroid cancer. So there's a number of different potential side effects that people may experience now, which is the downside of it. Now, here's the good news. You can actually get many of the same benefits, really all the same benefits, from healthy lifestyle changes. In fact, uh, a study uh, out of Obesity Journal, 2013, it showed that when you increase the protein content in your meal, so you eat a higher protein meal, it stimulates postprandial, which means post-meal, GLP-1 and PYY release. Now, GLP-1 and PYY, PYY is peptide YY, and I already mentioned GLP-1 is glucagon-like peptide 1. These are are both hormones that are released in our gut. So they're what we call secretins from the gut. The gut releases them, and then they interact with the brain to tell the brain, okay, we no longer need to eat. You know, We can feel satiated. We can burn fat for fuel. People with obesity tend to have lower levels of GLP-1, lower levels of uh, PYY. So, but this, this study in 2013 took obese individuals had them eat a higher protein content in the meal, and they were able to release higher levels of GLP-1 and PYY. And this is one of the key strategies that I teach when it comes to stabilizing your blood sugar, when it comes to burning fat for fuel, is higher protein. I recommend 30 to 50 grams or more possibly of protein in a meal. 
Now, the only time you would really need more than 50 grams of protein in a meal would be if you are doing strength training with the goal of building muscle, then like somebody like myself, I'll eat, you know, 70, 80 grams of protein sometimes in a meal. And I feel great doing that. Um, I'm lean. I work out. I usually eat two, maybe three meals a day at most. And so when I eat, I eat a lot of protein. But for most individuals, 30 to 50 grams right in that range works really great. So that's what you're looking for. And that's going to help stabilize your blood sugar. That's going to naturally increase the amount of GLP-1. So you get those satiating type benefits. It's going to help help with leptin sensitivity. Leptin is another hormone that's that's produced by fat cells that triggers satiety and fat burning. And of course, the PYY, like I talked about, the uh, peptide YY released by the gut. So you're going to get those, those benefits. You know, then there's a lot of other strategies. You know, I, I talk a lot about obviously avoiding processed carbohydrates and then not eating carbs all alone. So we say no naked carbohydrates. What would that mean? That would mean like eating an apple all by itself, as opposed to eating an apple with, uh, you know, potentially after a meal or like as a, as a dessert, for example, or putting like some almond butter on the apple. So you're getting some fat and protein along with the sugar, right? And that can be more beneficial or having an apple in your salad with some extra virgin olive oil, maybe some chicken, you know, something along those lines that would be better for blood sugar stability. And then, you know, other strategies like taking a walk after a meal helps to bring down your post meal blood sugar levels and helps to get that sugar into the muscle cells because the muscles are moving. So it helps stabilize your blood sugar, helps improve fat burning. You can do things like taking apple cider vinegar or lemon or, or lime juice right before a meal. Take a, t- a tablespoon or two in some water with your meal. And that has been shown to reduce the glycemic impact of the meal by up to 40%. So that's huge. You can take a little bit of MCT oil. So taking a, a teaspoon of MCT oil with a meal, the MCT turns medium chain triglyceride turns immediately into ketones, particularly if you get a C8 only MCT oil. We have one on our store called Keto Brain that turns immediately into ketones and that helps to bring down your blood sugar, stabilizes your blood sugar and also provides satiety, a level of satiety in your brain. So um, a lot of great strategies, you know, healthy fats, getting 10 to 20 grams or, or more of healthy fats in your meal, all great strategies. And then there are certain herbs, things like cinnamon, for example, berberine, which is a really common supplement that works, studies have shown, works similarly to to Ozempic, Ozempic. And so you're going to get a lot of benefits taking kind of a blood sugar support supplement with berberine, cinnamon, there's some other ones, gynema, fenugreek, chromium, vanadium, taking a good multivitamin with enough chromium and vanadium, which help improve uh, insulin receptor function and improve insulin sensitivity. So those types of things can be really helpful. Uh, I personally don't think that there is a need for taking a, a medication like Ozempic in spite of what those research trials say. And the reason why is because stabilizing your blood sugar and burning fat for fuel is actually not hard. You just need, it's it's really, it's it's simple, but it's not easy, I would say, right? Simple meaning that these strategies that I talk about, most of them cost very little. Uh, that Most people can get great results with using very, very few supplements, if any, um, and get phenomenal results doing this. But lifestyle change in general, once you're used to a certain pattern and, and way of life, changing that is not necessarily easy, right? So 
Um, if you make the lifestyle changes, I don't think that taking a medication like this, I don't think the risk reward is good enough. So there is reward, there is benefits that research has shown, but there are risks and all these healthy lifestyle strategies that I'm talking about here, there's very little risk and there's high reward to them. So that is my thought on Ozempic. Dr. Yvonne, what are your thoughts? I totally, totally agree with you. I think those same mechanisms of action that the medication has, we can implement them with our nutrition and our lifestyle. And the other thing that I'm thinking is that when we decide to take control of our health and we see the benefit of implementing good nutrition and good lifestyle, not only is it going to help us regulate blood sugar and it will help us lose weight. Like, you know, this um, question was asking, is it a good idea for losing weight? Not only are we going to attain that, but the benefits are even greater than that because when the body heals, it heals, you know, many, many things, not only how well we regulated blood sugar, maybe this person had difficulty sleeping now, all of a sudden they're sleeping better, they're thinking clearly more. So the benefits are so much greater than just taking one medication that focuses on two main mechanisms of action, which is satiation and then the insulin, um, um, you know, helping with the insulin. So I would definitely go with lifestyle and nutrition for for the greater benefits. And then again, you're being in control of your health. You're getting educated how to take care of yourself. And also, if you have a family, you can also teach them. So, oh, my goodness, that that route, I love it so much more. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Carbon 60 and my friends over at Shop c60.com if you haven't heard of carbon 60 otherwise called c60 it is a powerful nobel prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function fights inflammation and neutralizes toxic free radicals now i'm a big fan of using c60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system help your body detox and increase energy and mental clarity if you were over the age of 40 you cannot find a better antioxidant to support your energy and your mental clarity. So if you want to kick fatigue and braid fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. Again, that's shopc60.com. The coupon code is JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S. That will save you 15% off. Check out Carbon60, C60 today. The next question is Helen on Instagram. My friend has been making her own sourdough bread, and I'm really interested in doing it as well. Is sourdough gluten-free? Do you think it is a healthier than other gluten-free bread options? Yeah, this is a really great question, and it's a little bit nuanced. So sourdough bread is really, I mean, it's very popular. A lot of people are making their own sourdough bread, which is basically a fermented bread. And a lot of our ancestors, this is how they consume bread. They didn't consume your typical, obviously your typical store-bought bread, wonder bread, or even like a whole wheat bread. Usually the bread they consumed, like in the Bible, was a fermented form of bread like a sourdough. And when when things are fermented, particularly grains and uh, legumes and uh, you know different things like that, different vegetables, when they can be fermented, 
you get a lot of postbiotic nutrients and postbiotics are produced by the bacterial fermentation and they're very anti-inflammatory and they really help support the the overall gut immune system and help balance the gut immune system. So as far as sourdough bread goes, you're going to have good postbiotics, which is good. Now, is it gluten-free? No, it's not. So your typical bread has about 124,000 parts per million of gluten in a typical serving, which is a, a huge load. Sourdough, the fermentation process, brings it down roughly to about 200 to 250 parts per million. So huge reduction overall in gluten. For When we're talking about gluten-free, the FDA says it needs to be less than 20 parts per million. So let's go back to those numbers. 124,000 parts per million of gluten in a typical serving of you know whole wheat bread or something along those lines brought down to 200. So huge reduction, but still higher than the 20 parts per million. And then the gluten-free certification organization actually wants it under 10, under 10 parts per million because they're looking out for people with celiac disease with very severe uh, allergies to gluten. So what I would say is this, I would say that if you are healthy, you're metabolically healthy, you are um, no autoimmune disease that you're dealing with, overall living a healthy lifestyle, feeling good on a day-to-day -day basis, I think having some sourdough bread, totally fine. And I think you'll be great with that. It, it's much lower in gluten. To some degree, actually having a little bit of gluten like that actually is like a hormetic stressor for your body, meaning that it's a stressor that your body can adapt to and, um, and get stronger and more resilient to. However, if you were dealing with a lot of food sensitivities, if you have an autoimmune condition, if you're feeling, dealing with chronic fatigue, brain fog, you're just not feeling well, you have chronic diseases, then I would recommend avoiding it because your body may not be able to balance and adapt to that gluten. And we know that gluten increases zonulin in our gut, which creates more laxity in the and more permeability in the intestinal lining and therefore large undigested food particles, bacteria, bacterial endo, endotoxins and other microorganisms microorganism uh, end products will get out into the bloodstream, which will trigger more inflammation in the body. So that is really, it's, it's very nuanced. Again, it comes back to how well are you, how healthy are you as a baseline? If you're very healthy as a baseline, I think having some sourdough bread could be a wonderful addition to your diet. As long as you're doing things to keep your blood sugar stable, your immune system healthy, your gut healthy. Um, on top of that, uh, if you're not healthy, I would recommend more of kind of like a paleo autoimmune style diet, which is going to take out a lot of these potential triggers for inflammation. What are your thoughts there, Dr. Yvonne? I totally, totally agree with you. I think if you're generally healthy, you don't have GI symptoms, no brain fog, you're you know pretty much symptom free. I think it's a good option because it also has benefits. Um, the good news is that you can actually make your own gluten-free sourdough bread. Mm. So if you love the taste and the benefits of sourdough and you're choosing to be gluten-free, you can do that. So just look up on, you know, YouTube. There's a lot of people that have, you know, recipes and how to go about it. And so, yeah, I would definitely look into that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can do a gluten-free sourdough. And so you can try that and see if your body, body responds well to that. Now, a lot of the gluten-frees are made out of like brown rice, 
or um, possibly corn or something along those lines. So you may have you may have a sensitivity to those those particular grains as well. Buckwheat is a common one. That's actually usually the one that most people tolerate the best. So it just kind of depends. Um, so experiment, you kind of see how you do with it. Yeah, and the other thing, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's actually grain-free recipes. So mm -hmm. if you need to stay away from grains because you're sensitive, like corn and those, um, you know, other grains, then look up the gluten, the grain-free recipes because they do exist and they're they're also very good, very delicious. Wonderful, for Wonderful. sure. Yes. So let's move on to the next question. A gem on YouTube asks, will butter on MC or MCT oil in my coffee in the morning break my fast? Will butter or MCT oil in your coffee in the morning break a fast? One of the most common questions that I get. The answer is yes and no, right? The reason why I say yes is because technically a fast should be little to no calories, like really anything over like 10 or 20 calories. It's going to break a fast. Uh, however, with that said, because it's really just fat and it's not protein and it's not carbohydrates, carbohydrates are going to stimulate insulin. Insulin takes you out of the autophagy, right? That you're trying to get with fasting. It takes you, it puts you into fat storage and away from fat burning. Protein will stimulate this pathway called mTOR. Insulin will as well, which has to do with growth, growth and cell reproduction as opposed to you know when when we're in fasting we're trying to stimulate cleansing cell cell healing and slow down cell reproduction so protein and carbohydrates are the main triggers that pull us into you know out of fasting and into in a sense of you know more of a feasting or, or a fed state fat to a much 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 lesser degree than protein and carbohydrates so we're still getting calories so we are not going to get the full benefits of a fast. However, we're not going to inhibit the mechanisms that we're trying to keep down, right? And in a sense, right, we're, we're not going to inhibit too much of the progress we're trying to make. And for a lot of people, they feel like they just feel better during their fast and they're able to fast longer. They're able to do their intermittent fast longer without feeling hungry. They're able to be more productive and, um, you know, their brain feels really good because the MCTs and the butter are producing ketones, which are reducing inflammation in the brain and they feel better. So they're having less of a kind of being in this, this intermediary state where they don't have a, ketones elevated enough to provide enough fuel for the brain, but blood sugar is too low. Like that's, that's kind of the no man's land in a fast where you don't feel good because your blood sugar is dropping too low, but you haven't gotten the ketones up enough to provide enough fuel for the brain. So then you're kind of feeling more anxiety, a little more irritable, tired, things like that. Not as productive until your body breaks through and gets enough ketones. So if the butter MCT oil helps you break through faster and you feel better as you're going through it, I think it's more sustainable because I think ultimately... The goal with intermittent fasting is not just having one successful intermittent fast. It's a lifetime of intermittent fasting, whether you're doing it one day a week, three days, five days a week, every day, you know, whatever your regimen is that you want to do. It's really about doing it for a lifetime and you're going to get the best benefits over, over a long haul, right? Over the course of doing it on a, on a regular basis for a year, um, you're going to see a lot of really good benefits as opposed to, I'm just going to like muster up this one, you know, full day fast or something along those lines. So 
I think that I think if you feel as though the benefits for you um, are are significant, then definitely do it. If you feel like if you feel great when you're intermittent fasting without any butter or MCT oil, then I would say you don't need it, and you're going to get better benefits um, without it. But if you feel like that makes a difference in your brain function, your your mental clarity, your ability to enjoy life and and be as productive as you want to, then great. I would I would definitely go for it. Well, that's great news for those who are starting to fast and those who have been doing it for a while, because now they have choices, they have an option. And if you're having difficulty fasting, what great news that if you are used to your coffee, your morning coffee, I know many people are used to their morning coffee. And it's great news that if you use butter and MCT oil will help help you do that fast and keep you satiated and, and sharp. Many times, People use coffee just to help them focus. So I think that is great news. And then again, if you really don't need that, you have that option. So I love it. I totally love it. So shall we go to the next question? Let's do it. Let's go to the next. Okay. Uh, what causes varicose veins and what are the best strategies to heal from this? Yeah, varicose veins is kind of when you have like these inflamed, very large uh, veins, particularly you're going to see them in your legs. Most people will see them in their legs, just kind of large, uh, rounded, kind of bubbly and, and you know, to some degree, un, you know, unappealing looking, looking veins in, in the legs. And so, um, you know, there's a couple different factors that are, that are involved with causing varicose veins. There's thought to be, you know, an autoimmune connection there, which I wouldn't be surprised because the more research we do, the more we find autoimmunity involved in almost every chronic health condition. And so there may very well be, you know, this autoimmune relationship with the the, the vein tissue. Um, so the, the the tissue that's in the veins that's causing more of this kind of inflammatory inflammation and and causing this look. And then that's going to slow down the amount of blood going back to the heart because that's really what the veins do. Um, there can be issues with lymphatic function because the lymph helps pull waste from the bloodstream, immune cells, all this kind of stuff, toxins, and then pumps it back into the veins, which should bring it back into the liver to be detoxified. And ultimately, you know, then the good blood goes back to the heart and, you know, it goes, it goes back into the arteries, which get, again, you know, gets re-oxygenated from the heart and the lungs and, uh, and brings nutrients to the cells. So it's kind of this continuous cycle. So when you don't have when some area there is is malfunctioning, obviously it's going to affect your entire circulatory system. So that is a big factor. Um, so a couple things that we see with it, oftentimes insulin resistance uh, is a big issue. So blood sugar imbalances. We know that blood sugar in general, higher higher amounts of blood sugar, um, the sugar molecules will bind to proteins in the bloodstream and create something called advanced glycation end products or AGEs. These AGEs are like shrapnel going through the blood blood vessels. So they damage arteries in particular, but they can also damage veins. And so that may be a factor with this. Infections can also be a factor. The more infectious bacteria and microorganisms in our bloodstream, and that oftentimes coming from our gut or coming from per perhaps an oral infection or something along those lines, that's going to drive up inflammatory activity. You're going to have more macrophages, more, more immune cells in the blood. They're going to create more inflammation. And obviously that can affect the veins. So having some sort of infection, you know, I would definitely check your mouth, obviously work on your gut. Um, both of those are, are, are big, 
you know, that's kind of the, the, the two main reservoirs where we see a lot of infections getting into the system through the oral cavity, as well as the gut, sometimes through the sinuses uh, as well. So definitely be, be looking at that. And then we talked about that molecule homocysteine when it came to headaches. Well, there's definitely an association as well with varicose veins and people with higher homocysteine levels. And homocysteine gets brought back into balance with some key nutrients, things like B vitamins, vitamin B6, B12, B9, uh, which is folate, B2 plays a role, riboflavin. Uh, so all those play a role, magnesium, zinc, uh, making sure you got some of that on board. And choline can also play an important role as well. Choline, we get in things like eggs, egg yolk, for example, great source of choline, beef liver, or you know, even taking like a, a beef liver or grass-fed organ complex uh, can be really helpful because that's got really all of those nutrients in it. Um, organ meats would have been part of our ancestral diet. Um, our ancestors, in fact, if you look at like hunter-gatherer tribes, they eat organs, they eat you know, liver, they eat heart, things like that. Organs are very rich in these B vitamins. They're also very rich in choline. They're also very rich in zinc, magnesium. So all these key nutrients that are needed for bringing homocysteine down uh, and proper methylation. So you may get it from there. Um, you can get some of these B vitamins from eating a lot of good vegetables, dark green leafy vegetables, um, arugula, right? Eating some of these good salads. We'll get some of these B vitamins and then things like B12, you're going to get from your meat products, your animal products, eggs, I mentioned as a great source of choline. So consuming things like that. So in general, blood sugar stabilizing diet, trying to get really nutrient dense foods, it's going to play a key role. Um, regular movement, light, low intensity movement in particular is going to kind of help work those, um, those veins, but also some bouts of high intensity exercise, depending on the severity of the varicose veins can be helpful for creating more resilience in the in the veins. We know a sedentary lifestyle is one of the worst things you can do for varicose veins. And then also wearing compression socks. So compression socks, um, you know, they compress the lower extremity. And so they help basically move fluid and they don't allow the veins to kind of swell up and um, allow for water retention in the lower extremities. So compression socks have been really helpful for people with varicose veins as well. And then last but not least, uh, some different dietary polyphenols, resveratrol and quercetin, for example. Resveratrol, we think about when it comes to like red wine, it's in all of our, our kind of purplish, bluish berries or grapes. So blueberries have some resveratrol. Quercetin, you have in things like apples, uh, particularly the, the skin of the apples, you've got it in like the, the rind of citrus fruits, um, you also get quercetin and onions, things like that. But, you know, consuming those types of foods, I think is great, but also taking a clinical supplement with something like resveratrol and quercetin, you know, a good high dose, maybe 250 milligrams or more of both of those on a daily basis will really help with improving the overall elasticity and the tone and the integrity of your blood vessels. So, that would be a go-to supplement. Omega-3 fatty acids can be really helpful. Vitamin D as well. Um, so those would be, you know, top of the line strategies for varicose veins. Yeah. And one more thing. Um, also, I would make sure that you have a healthy uh, blood pressure going on because, mm. you know, blood pressure really makes it hard on our veins. And so we want to make sure that we have a well-managed uh, blood pressure. 
Um, and again, you know, all those good nutrients, um, exercise, sleep, uh, keeping that inflammation down, always inflammation in general is not good for anything. And so making sure you have that under control. Yep. So that really hits it. And we also have a great article on varicose veins on drjockers.com. If you're dealing with a chronic health condition, we pretty much have an article really in-depth, most thorough and in-depth article with great infographics on any major health condition that you may be dealing with. So maybe you're dealing with breast cancer. Maybe you're dealing with diverticulitis, ulcerative colitis, um, varicose veins, right? Um, you name a condition, just go to drjockers.com. You will find a very in-depth article that goes through the root cause factors as well as natural support strategies for those health conditions. So be sure to use our website like a Google when it comes to natural health. That's really why I've developed this and worked so hard uh, to continue to update it and make sure that the information is extremely relevant, easy to read, and really provides you with the answers you're looking for. And of course, if you were looking for help, if you want a health coach to help you navigate through what may be the root cause factors in whatever uh, health condition you're dealing with, and then get you on a health coaching plan, like a plan to actually address those root cause factors and help you get well, reach out to Dr. Yvonne on our, on through drjockers.com. You can find her on the coaching tab and her email is it's just Dr. I-V-O-N-N-E at gmail.com. Is that correct? I'm sorry, at Dr. Jockers. Dr. Jockers. Dr. Jockers. <laughs> Not Gmail, Dr. Jockers.com. No. That's right. Great. Yep. Yes. Yep. Definitely do that. Any last words of inspiration for our audience here, Dr. Yvonne? Well, keep the questions coming. I think it's very important for us to know what you're thinking, what you're challenged with. And it's a, for us a great opportunity to talk to you and help you with your health journey, with your wellness journey. So just keep up the good work. Stay in touch with us. Please go to drjockers.com. You're going to find amazing information. Anything you can think of, just put it on the search tab. You will find it. And if you don't, please reach out to us and we'll make it available to you. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you guys. And again, let us know what kind of questions you have that you want us to address in the next Q&A. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.